Why is it the, the second I know it's recording? I'm it's like, a, I, it's okay. We'll we'll get over it. The four <laughs> phases of. Are you talking about evolution and manifestation? Are you talking about the waking state, the sleep state? The... Ah, you're you're curious about the seven states of consciousness. Yes. Okay, and and what do you want to know? Do you want a review of them, or you want to? Well, I just want to. Yeah, I, I'm. Clarify them. Yes, because. <clears throat> I think there's some questions I have about how those all link together and And this is Slouching Towards Enlightenment. A podcast about meditation, snacks, and pop (laughs) Pop culture. culture. (laughs) We should have a a podcast about snacks. We should. All right. Okay. I would love to talk about the seven states of consciousness and um, how those interact with one another and just understand. Because as I understand, there's the waking state, sleep state, dream state, and transcendent state. Yeah, transcendental consciousness. Yes. So let's start with those four. Okay. So there's seven states of consciousness. Those four are the those are those those other four the first four are the most accessible to us and they are again sleeping dreaming waking and transcendental consciousness or what we call turiya turiya is the sanskrit word for the fourth as in the fourth state of consciousness um now the first three now these are levels of wakefulness mm-hmm. That means with each level going up or moving towards a more wakeful state, your ability to perceive becomes sharper. Um, Which is hilarious because this wakeful is awake state, the first level? No, that's the third. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's the third. So the first level of consciousness is sleeping. Okay. And in sleeping, there is consciousness present because you know, we wake up from when we're sleeping. We're not awake during it, but there's enough consciousness there that we can still digest a little food or regulate breath and blood pressure. And um, we're breathing, which is important. And, you know, we don't remember any of this because we're checked out. Uh, We lose consciousness as in we lose our sense of self and we lose our sense of the outside world. But something is alive there's something mechanical going on where we are sleeping. Then we introduce dream state. Suddenly, inside that first state of consciousness, there is uh, uh, something opens up, and we become kind of awake in our sleep. And now we have this sort of this sense of self and a sense of the outside world, but both are hallucinated. We're hallucinating an experience. Okay. We are asleep in bed, 
but in what you know what's going on inside of us we might be running away from a gang of bandits who are trying to you know is that steal. a covid reference because of all the bandanas and- maybe maybe that's where it's coming from <laughs> but you know our legs don't work there's all these obstacles to overcome they can okay. be kind of stressful kind of fun someone might be there but they might look different all this weird weird stuff but the point is is that there's a subject and an object but it isn't real but we take it to be real while we're dreaming it and the reason we never kind of snap out of it and think why am i what's going on here you know um my mom i know my mom doesn't have two heads but in the dream she does mm-hmm. and and they're going to and she's for some reason going for a medical procedure where they're putting another head on her we never stop to think <laughs> like wait a second am i dreaming we yes. never do that yeah the reason is is because we're charmed we're fascinated we're in a layer of consciousness that's closer to pure consciousness and with each layer of the mind going from the surface of consciousness like eyes open waking state where we're thinking about emails and to-do lists and things like that as you move down through the different stratas each one becomes increasingly more charming and charm is the greatest in the field of being mm-hmm. and in being is where the entire mind emerges from it's where all thoughts come from it's where all dreams come from everything so dream state is down a little ways and since each strata is increasingly more charming as you're going down and approaching pure consciousness the dream state is incredibly fascinating it's filled with charm and when we're charmed or fascinated we don't have time to think wait a second my mom doesn't have three heads i'm dreaming you know it's very rare people try and train themselves to have lucid dreams so mm-hmm. they can say my mom has three heads okay time to fly and then they go off and fly around or something like that but so that's a dream state which is always fascinated it's me when you say that you're not aware of that what's happening when you're dreaming you just accept it as being real that's always yes. scared me about reality because it's like what if we're just accepting we are what's real right now we are and okay, it's not okay see that's that right there and it's is. not and it shouldn't scare you okay we know that waking state is more real than dream state because But you don't realize that until you're awake from the dream. Right, and that's what that look, they, you know, someone asked Buddha, you know, what what are you? You know, are you enlightened? Are you this? Are you that? What what are you? And he said, "I am awake." So there's another thing to wake up from. There's another perception, you know, in our waking state we go, "Oh, it was just a dream." Right. Now, uh anyway, back to my back to my life. so and so said i suck and now i'm going to go ruin their life <laughs> right you know and this is the other rough, that sounds like a rough day right okay. but this is another dream we have to wake up from yeah but there's certain parts of this reality meaning we can we're we're perceiving the outside world in a useful way enough we're we're perceiving it accurately enough that most of us aren't getting run over by cars mm-hmm. every second. You know, we we understand that this world of form and phenomena, it's it's different objects and we have to navigate it to fulfill our desires to like, well, I have to go to the store 
and get broccoli. Um, you know, and if you can't perceive anything, uh, it's going to be very hard for you to do, to do that. But if you have some perception, okay. you'll know when to stop at the crosswalk, and yeah. you'll remember to bring a bag to put the broccoli. So there are in. some markers that right let us know. Yes, and it's it's our, it's what we're gaining <laughs> is per, is real perception. Yeah, and we have a sense of ourself, and we can actually interact with ourself and interact with other people. There it can be very. Um, it, but it seems like this is the ultimate reality. The relative field of consciousness, which is this real field that we live in, is it's the most expressed layer of consciousness. It's not true, though. It's not the truth. Truth is that which doesn't change. And the world, the outside world that we're perceiving day to day, is constantly changing, like our thoughts. They change. It changes slower than our thoughts, but this house won't be here in a thousand years. It might be, but probably not. Right. There's an old church down the road in Santa Fe on Old Santa Fe Trail that's been here. When was that put up? It's where my sister was married. Yeah. Really. Yep. She was married there. The the one with the miracle staircase. Oh yes, yeah. that one's a little late. I think that's like six. Okay, but the, the other one is really old. Yes. Yeah. In the four. So these things can. These structures can can last through time, but they'll eventually go. Everything, truly, everything in this field is dying. Everything is changing or it's dying. And we have a little time with certain things before they lose their relevance and go away. Um, This is about to turn positive. I know it. This is. (laughs) So what we try to do in this field is control things so they don't change. Mm -hmm. That's the dream. That's the, the dream is that you can actually control things. The dream is, is that you can change things. Um, you know, we do this in relationships a lot, you know, like don't change. You love me? Cool. Stay there. Don't Mm -hmm. change. Um, this all happens, but it's all changing. The truth is that which does not change. And that is pure being. It's what we really are. The ocean never loses its oceanic status, but on the surface, there's waves bobbing up and down, and the surface is constantly changing. But the true status of the ocean is unchangeable. So what's unchangeable about us is that witness inside of us that looks out through this body and perceives. That is, that is unchangeable. Um, but we don't know really how to take a look at that because we're always perceiving outward in this outside world. So we learn how to meditate. We get a little mantra, sweet, funny little word that when we think it effortlessly, it has a resonance that causes our mind and body to relax. And then we start to drift into those deeper and deeper states. And each state is more charming. So we're continually drawn in deeper and deeper through fascination and charm. It's like we're, we're bewitched by this thing. And it pulls us in, and finally, we move past the phenomenology of thinking, and we transcend. And we find that we are completely fulfilled. How do we know we're fulfilled? We're not thinking. The, but we're uh, present. There's a we're present. We're totally yes. present, but we have peeled away everything that isn't... Um, we have pe- we've peeled away everything that's relative, and now we are in that, in that state of consciousness 
of I am, or we're just, it's just pure being. And this has been interesting to me because it's hard to describe that state. It's very hard to describe it. And I always try to make my students describe it after the first time they transcend. Mm -hmm. Not to put them on the spot, but so they can start uh, articulating their experiences and so they can find some kind of a language for it. But, you know, it, it, once you do, like, if you do this for a year and then open up the Bible, it's really interesting because uh, you'll, you'll see, like, you know, Jesus, he's, he's almost exclusively speaking in metaphors and analogies. Very interesting. A lot of very wise men and women in different cultures who have something to teach are teaching through metaphor and analogy because you can't describe what's indescribable. You have to kind of talk around it a little bit to describe something. So that fourth state is Turiya, transcendental consciousness. And that's where we are having an experience, a direct experience of pure consciousness without our individuality involved. So we're, uh, we're experiencing a reality that is sort of the unmanifest reality, pure consciousness. And there's um, not that heaviness of ex- the experience of being a human. It, it, right. It's without that heaviness. You're not worried who hates you. You're not worried what bills you have to pay. You're yeah. not worried about um, the fun thing you get to do later on that week. You're not, you know, you're, bo- you're, not, you're not weighed down by your body, by your thoughts, by anything that's all peeled away. And there's just this unbounded state and the mind isn't it doesn't have any boundaries to it anymore you're not thinking but you're aware you're aware of intelligence but you would never think i am aware of intelligence or anything like that while you're transcending everything is intelligence and everything is bliss and your body at this point is resting very deeply but then it starts to unwind those stresses Mm -hmm which brings up some thinking, pulling your mind back up to its individual status where you think something like, what the hell is going on here? Right. What am I doing? Oh, my eyes are closed. Ah, cool. Okay, back to the mantra. And then you go back to it. But talking about transcendence, is it like the mantra or is it the sort of thing where it's okay? No, no, it's okay to talk about transcendence. It's absolutely okay. It's okay for, you know you to tell other people about your experiences in meditation. The only thing we ask is you don't um, tell people mantras or the technique. Right. Um, because then then if people learn improperly, it's it's a whole thing. Which makes sense. You don't want... Their... What happens then is people prove to themselves that meditation doesn't work. They get some instruction. It's shoddy instruction. Yeah. They try it out. It doesn't work. And now they, they'll reject meditation. That makes they'll say sense. like, well, I've tried it and it didn't work. Um, so this is why we teach in, in a certain way to make sure that the people that we're teaching have the experiences and the knowledge to back it up so that they can repeat that experience. And then they're like, wait, this does work. And then they become meditators and then their life changes. Mm-hmm. But talk about transcendence all you want to. It's, 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 a, it's a good conversation because, and it's nice to hear other people talk about it because, um, people are having the same experiences, but describing it through their lens of individuality. Right. So it's very interesting. So these are the, these are the first four states. The first three, sleeping, dreaming, and waking state, are relative to each other. 
They're like tent poles leaning up against each other. If you remove one, the other two fall down. Right. And what are they ultimately resting on? The fourth state of consciousness, being. Being, you know, uh, sleep is brought to you by being. Um, dream state brought to you by your sponsor, <laughs> Pure Consciousness. <laughs> Waking yeah. state yeah. is brought to you this week by, you know, Pure Consciousness, being. So it's so spectacular to have that experience and say, whoa, this has always been here. Mm-hmm. Why is no one talking about this? Why is this right. not something that everyone is doing? Yeah, it's the most interesting conversation. <laughs> it's the fountain of youth. Yeah. If you think about it, like if you, I, I know that if you actually, let's say you actually found the fountain of youth up in the hills I in did. Santa Fe. I did. did. If you came down here and said, I know where it is. I promise you it's real. Um, it's going to take some, you know, I, I will show you where it is. People will be like, oh, I'd love to, but I have a dinner tonight. You know, I really, oh, that sounds, that sounds cool. Maybe, um, maybe this fall, that sounds really great. You know, and these are people who are suffering, by the way. Yeah. And you just want to. It's like, no, let me show you. Right. This is here. But and... you can't drag them. You have to wait until they say, okay, that's something I really want to know about. And you think, well, who wouldn't want to know and experience their own source of consciousness? Yeah. Be- it's, it's. Some people just aren't, I don't know, they're just not ready. Or they're, you know, some people, I think we talked about this the last time. Some people are not ready to start, to stop suffering. Yeah. Some people um, are enjoying their narrative. It's serving them in some way. They don't want to give it up. Or they're afraid of who they might become. Or they're afraid that if they learn how to meditate, they'll have to stop drinking. Ooh, no, they won't. Or they'll have to stop eating meat. Like something, it's almost like they think if I'm going to do this thing, I might get attacked by some uncontrollable desire to be pure. Right. And then I'll have to stop living my secret life and be, you know, people don't do it for a multitude of reasons. But my job is to keep talking about it and keep being locatable so people can find me yeah. and then say, yes, I do want to do that. Yes. Um, because, and the, or a lot of people think it's going to be hard. No matter how much you tell, tell them, you remember the intro talk. I probably told you guys it was easy I, over and over and over again. Yeah. It is effortless. Yeah. Meditating, if you're doing it right, is easier than pouring cereal into a bowl. Yeah. Because it's been there all along. It's just yeah. there. That's exactly. It's just phenomenal when when you really experience it, and then. Mm-hmm. Well, what was your first that. experience of transcendence? How did that? What was that like for you? So calming. So. And where familiar. where was it? Tell me, like here. So it was in this house. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, that's right. It was. Yes. It was during well, your so course. I, but I remember, I said to you, I was like, I feel like I was in between awake and asleep yes. because I was there, but I wasn't. Yeah. It was sort of relax. It was just this relax. But I had this strange experience of sort of being right over this like ocean of blue. And then later you're like, and there's this ocean. And I was like, no, I had the ocean. I, you know, it was the, I had that experience of just being sort of over this bluish turquoise mm-hmm. vast yep. something felt oceanic. Mm-hmm. 
And then all of a sudden it was just calm. Yeah. And I was present, but I, I was like, am I falling asleep? You know, it was like yeah, yeah. that came after where I was like, did I just fall asleep? What what was that? Mm. Um, so for me, that was that felt really familiar to me. Yeah. But new. A lot of people say that too. They'll say, I did something and it was kind of familiar. It yeah. was like going home. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons people do this is most everyone has transcended. Mm-hmm. But you're when you trans when people transcend, they're transcending so fast that they they don't really under they don't really understand. So when you wake up, you pass through transcendence. And when you fall asleep, you pass through transcendence. Mm-hmm. But you're you're only there for half a second. Mm-hmm. But if you have that half a second a couple times a day for most of your life, when you do it, it feels very familiar. I used to get it on walks. I used to walk all the time, and then I would notice something happened, and I'd go, and I would think, like, what was that? There it is again, this, this thing, and now it's gone, and I don't understand what that was. And so I try to provoke it by going on these long walks. And to certain places or just... I just noticed that if I walked yeah. for a really long time, there would be a flash of it. And what, what it was was uh, through the walking, because when you start walking, you're thinking all these things, and after a while, the mind settles down. And there might be a moment, a brief moment, where you're not thinking. And in that moment, it felt like all there was, and just a flash, was divinity. I couldn't describe it. It was something divine, something divine. Divinity sounds like something in church, but this is something that was naturally divine. Yeah. And elusive, because I'd be like, there it is, and it would instantly be gone. Why? Because saying there it is is a thought. And kicked you back up. Right. It would also just sit in the place of no thinking. Yeah which would block the experience of no thinking. You can't, if what, and I didn't realize what was going on was I was stopping thinking because I didn't stop perceiving. So I thought, I didn't, I didn't know thoughts had something to do with it. I thought it was purely perception. Um, but when you're perceiving without thinking, you're perceiving a lot better. And what I was perceiving was something divine take away the thought and I can perceive something much more divine than I'm normally perceiving. Add the thoughts and it blocks it. Because thoughts are always about me, the ego, the I. I did this, I I did this. this? How does this affect me? Not the I am, which is what the I comes out of. Right. Not the ocean, which what individually comes individuality comes out of. So I felt like I was chasing this thing all through probably from like 90, 1993 or four to like 2008. I was on this hunt for this thing I couldn't describe to anybody else. But it was that thing that I felt when I was a kid, mm-hmm. which we talked about when, once I was just sitting in my bed and I was awake. It was, on, it was in West Hollywood at 465 North Alfred Street, which was where, but anyway, I'm sitting there. You know, on, on I'm Alfred like Street. six years old, okay, seven years old, laying in bed. Uh, I had just woken up. It was very early, and the sun was coming in. And um, and I had, I had a moment, a long moment where I wasn't thinking anything, and uh, and then it changed, it changed me, because it was it was 
not just an experience of no thinking, but it was it was an experience uh, that I was something deeper than just this body and name. Mm-hmm. And it lasted enough time that it made an imprint on me. And, and then I've been chasing it kind of ever since. And that experience and feeling is so hard to articulate, especially for a child. I mean... Yeah. I mean, the, the way you would articulate it now is aham brahmasmi. I am totality. But I am totality, if you are totality, you don't really need to go around saying it. But if there was going to be a description of is it... Is there a t-shirt? <laughs> I'm sure there is. Uh, but if there is a description of it, it would be aham, yeah. brahmasmi, I am totality. And when I was laying in bed, I had a glimpse of, of this deep I am. I don't know how else to describe it. And then I noticed... Once I got older and I was going on all these walks, it was happening again over and over and over. And it was just beautiful. And I wanted to figure out if I could find a way to capture that and just hold on to it and not go back to the individual who was always freaked out and worried about things and nervous. And um, What do you think the walks, what do you think was bringing that on? Because one question that I have for you about the transcendental state is, are there things other than meditation that do bring it on? Sure. Sure, yeah. You can do... Uh, the, but most of them are practices, like pranayama, you know, alternate nostril breathing. Um, you can actually hit this state many different ways. A lot of people... Usually when your eyes are open and you hit the state, we call it flow. Um, but it's very different. Like, it was happening... I used to get in that flow state when I edited my student films. Some of the happiest moments of my life were editing my Super 8 films when I was at Art Center. I would just start and I would just like, time would vanish yeah. and I would just be, it was this great thing. But it was actually very different than my walks where I was definitely experiencing, it wasn't just flow, it was something else. But you can experience flow from doing all sorts of things swimming, running, runners always uh, like get in that flow state. Anything you're good at, uh, once you do it, uh, it, it's like, you know, feeling like everything's kind of happening effortlessly, efficiently, and automatically. But moving, but with, but with this, with transcendence, you can get there by japa. Japa is another one where you're moving beads and saying a mantra or uh, or pranayama. There, there's all different techniques. The reason I teach this instead of those is this is easier and more natural and more efficient. It's just a quicker way. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a more reliable way as well. Whereas you can do pranayama breathing for 30 minutes and you may not transcend. Yeah. Um, it's not a reliable, but we're not trying to transcend from pranayama, but you can. It's just a much harder way. If you're going to do anything, take the easy, fun, and reliable road. Yeah. You know. It actually is the shorter line. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's um, we want to, and, but even with this, we know that sometimes we sit down to meditate and we're not transcending. Do you have students that say, I've never transcended? I don't know yep. what that, and what do you say to them? Well, I have, I have students who have transcended and say that. But I don't have. I don't think I have a student who'd never transcended. Now, 
if one of them is listening to me right now, I want you to email me because you need a refresher. <laughs> but I, like I had one girl who she always said, I've, I've never transcended. I just keep falling asleep. And she kept saying this over and over again. So I said, come on, come over. We're going to meditate together. You know, and I peeked while I, while we were meditating just to see what her body was like, not in a creepy way, but <laughs> but you can tell a right. lot because when you fall Posture. asleep, yeah, exactly, you lose muscle muscle tension, and you will go into that sort of sleep slump. When you're transcending, it looks very different. Or like on an airplane when you fall asleep and you keep jerking. Yep. That's yes. falling asleep, but yeah. but transcending looks very different, and she was kind of upright with her head just sort of just tilted down just a little bit, totally relaxed. And then she came out and claimed she was asleep. She was mistaking transcendence for sleep. She was transcending hard. So she thought that that her checking out kind of mimicked when she checks out in sleep, but she wasn't sleeping. Right. You could tell you always know when someone's sleeping. It looks very different than transcending. And the the remedy for that is to keep going because then after a while you get some memory you get some realization of what you're doing while you're doing it but she was just moving so far past it and this happens with a lot of students they'll they'll say i'm transcending i'm not sleeping or no, no they'll say they're they're sleeping and not transcending and all i have to do is just take a peek and just see where they're how they're they're holding their head what their shoulders look like that kind of thing so what for you so other than the physical aspect of that, what marks on the interior level sleeping from transcendence? Mm, transcendence, you're still aware. And sleeping, you're not. You'll, you'll see this. In, you know, right now, if you're transcending and you have a thought like, oh, I'm doing it you know that you're going to be back up on the surface. Yes. That thought will carry you from the bottom of consciousness all the way back to your surface. You'll go, oh, shoot, I was transcending. Okay, back to the mantra. And it's hard. That happens a lot happens for me the... as a new meditator because yeah. it's it constantly happens. It, it, yeah. it, it's just going to happen for a while, and there's nothing you can do about it. But though having that thought is okay because there's going to be a time where you'll think that, and it won't you'll be stabilized enough, you'll have stabilized Turiya enough that having a thought won't send you back to the surface. You'll think, you'll be super deep in meditation, and you'll think, whoa, I'm so deep. You know? And then a few seconds later, you'll think, wait a second, I'm still here. I'm thinking. Look at me, I'm thinking, I'm having thoughts. Peanut butter, <laughs> chocolate, marshmallow. And you're still down there. Because you've evolved, because you, the individuality has become saturated enough with transcendental consciousness that now it's starting to stabilize. And once it's stabilized, you can start to begin some thinking, some soft thinking, without you can being sort of kicked out of it. swim around in yes. the transcendence. Yes. And then once you're a seasoned meditator, the experience isn't as vertical anymore from top to bottom, back to the top. It's sort of like top to bottom, and then it becomes this horizontal experience where your, your uh, awareness starts swimming at, around in Ritam, which is that layer between pure being and individuality. 
and it starts exploring the surface. And that opens up a whole new realm of possibilities because um, you can swim out of your individuality (laughs) and into another individuality. And that's when things get kooky. You know, you, it's like, it's like, um, you can, it's like you, you submerge and you come up and I hesitate to go too deep into it because this is where people can start finding this very bewildering and you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, it's, it's okay to skate near the edge, but this is, uh, this is a whole other conversation That we Which, usually... and this is the stuff that fascinates me, but yes. also you've said there's certain things you sort of have to, you have to wait till the right moment. Right, you have to you wait, have to wait till, till they ex- you experience yes. it. Yeah. And, and then, but when you experience it, it, something like that, it's, it can be shocking and you think like, well, what, did that actually happen? Yeah. And then you'll kind of brush off and think, I'm, uh, that was just crazy. I was hallucinating it. And then it starts to happen again and again and again and again. And then it's like, Okay, time to ask a teacher, and then you know, and then you you learn that there's this whole, um, like, like not only have you had that, but thousands of people have had that yeah. uh, that experience before. Um, when I was younger, I used to, <laughs> I had this thing called the Santa Claus clause, where it was like <laughs> the clause about Santa Claus. Where uh, when I found out about Santa Claus, I was thrilled. Because I was like, oh, my God, what else do I not know? Like, what right. else have I did I have figured out mm-hmm. that maybe isn't as I thought it was? I mean, because I, when I thought about it, I was excited, too. But more um, so because now I could ruin people's lives. <laughs> oh, and I couldn't wait. evil. <laughs> it's like, cool. This is useful knowledge. You know, I don't think I ever told. My mom was like. Do not tell anyone. <laughs> she, I think she saw the glint in my eye. <laughs> um, yeah, that that. Um, but it's it's sort of like when something reality shifts just slightly, and it's it's like, oh, that does make sense. But that's mm. exciting in that way, where you know there's more out there to discover. And I think at a certain age, you feel like you have everything figured out. Yeah. So that experience, the Santa Claus clause, it doesn't happen a lot. Where you get right. that experience of of having something revealed to you? Yes, yeah, that's that's true. But you're you're kind of having it. You know, you don't know you're having it yet, but through repeated transcendence, you're having it about this whole world. Because um, you, you'll begin to realize what you thought was true—that you are a body—isn't true. It's not true. You're not a body. That's a huge thing for people to learn. Uh, it's better to experience that than to believe it. Believing won't really help in that area. But knowing you're not a body and knowing that you're this eternal consciousness is very useful. It, 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 uh, it nurtures fearlessness. If you, if you just think you're a body, then there's going to be a lot of fear. You know, There's going to be a lot of energy in protecting yourself um and and not only that but bodies are separate from each other yeah so that's that, that idea of separation it, it can be can make things very scary but when you when you have the the experience when you have enough experiences that 
that actually everything is you, everything is extended self. And uh, then things get a little less scary and we can move in that direction. You know? Yeah. Do you find that a lot of meditators have an absence of fear? I mean, is that one of the perks? One uh, the, uh, so a hallmark of a good meditator is the ability to adapt to everything. Um, I know a lot of meditators who can't adapt, but I know a lot who have gotten who it's their specialty, and then and then not only that they become so good at it they look for excuses to adapt. They 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 want you know when you have if infinite adaptation energy you want to showcase it to yourself, to others. You want to, um, you know, uh, meditators are always like, let's go up to the, the peaks of the Himalayas. No one talks like that. You're going to be cold. <laughs> There's no air. You know, you know yeah. what I mean? But for a lot of us and some of me and my colleagues, it's like, we can't wait to do things like that. Um, so, and what was the other one? Not adaptation, but fearlessness. Right. Yeah, fear, fearlessness. I, I, I've, I've noticed that in general, the meditators I know tend to be more fearless than non-meditators. But not, destruct, not in a destructive way, just no. in a... Yeah. No, 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 no. We're not idiots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's no well, sense. The body is, you can perish. Yeah. And, and bodies are very useful. So you don't want to do anything... Um, too extreme or, or dumb. Plus, if you're about to, the meditator will feel a little aversion and think, you know what, this isn't a good idea. The aversion isn't fear. It's nature telling you, even if you're fearless, it's not going to work out. <laughs> so maybe not do that. Right. You know? Right. But um, but the the meditators I know find that they are increasingly more fearless. Now this, it doesn't always mean just courage and you'll like charge into anything. A lot of it, it's a, it's a process. You know, you'll notice that you, like a lot of people don't think they're paranoid until they meditate for a year. And then they look back and think, wow, I was paranoid. Mm -hmm. I was always worried that people hated me or I, I was always worried that I said the wrong thing or that, um, that they were judging me or something like that. And then a year after meditation, you're like, who even cares what they think? Yeah. Like, why would I, why was I putting so much energy into worrying? Paranoia is a type of fear. And, and this fear starts getting scraped away and you hardly know it's going until you kind of get to a state and you can look back and think, oh my God. And most of the fear is I'm not going to get my desires met. And that may mean for some people something very material, like I wasn't going to get you know, uh, a new car or a girlfriend or the job or something like that. But, but in a more subtle way, it means, um, you know, it's more about egotistical purposes. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to be important, your fear will be that you're not important. Or if you want to be special, your unconscious fear will be that you're not or if you want to be loved, your unconscious fear is that you're unlovable. Or if you want to belong to a group and have lots of friends, 
your inner unconscious fear is that you don't belong and no one likes you. You know, and we have all this these unconscious layers of of identity um, kind of identity issues right. of who we want to be and what we want and what kind of thoughts we want other people to have about us, which are probably compounded by the digital presence that people are able to totally. curate for other people to see. That's so confusing and complicated yeah. because you look out and see, oh my gosh, these people are perfect, or the way that they're presenting themselves is. And that just weighs, you know, that just weighs on you. It makes things, it makes things so much worse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you have these, and you're not even aware of it. All you want is, like, you're just running around trying to get a girlfriend or running around trying to be better than anyone else or running around trying to have a lot of friends. You don't understand that this purpose to belong or be loved or be important or be superior is directly related to an identity about yourself that isn't even true in the first place. And so through the release of stress and through transcending where you're actually having an experience of what you really are, it it turns the whole thing around because pure consciousness doesn't need to belong. You know, pure consciousness is everything. What are you trying to belong? Having the need to belong you have to first believe that you're separate from everything. Yeah, you're here. You already belong. You you're- already belong. It's innate. Your surround love is a is a constant. You just to what ability can you detect it? Love binds everything together. Can you perceive that or not? Um, so these are the things that happen as you continue to release stress and as you continue to interface with source or pure consciousness. It just it, it gets all this gunk out of there and you can start being a little happier, a little yeah. more, a little bit more easy breezy about things. And you will, it's not that you'll become fearless overnight. I've never seen that happen to anybody. I'm sure it has, but I haven't witnessed it. Yeah. But I see some of the senior, the senior meditators or the senior, my senior colleagues in my community and fearless would not be an inaccurate way to describe them. And they're very calm, very happy. Things happen to them, and they just have a way of just elegantly pivoting and putting it in, like, and not letting it get to them. Um, you know, uh, new meditators are a little bit schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. You know, you're. Thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> it's true. It's true, though. <laughs> they're up one day, they're down the next. Yeah. But, but before, they were just down. Now they're, they're feeling uh, like they're, it's just more, they're in the washing machine. A lot of new meditators yeah. are in a washing machine. Yeah. Because they're, they're in a program that is actively getting stress out of their nervous system. And as it comes out, it can make them feel a little funny sometimes. But it's offset by those nice, yummy, you know, transcendental experiences as yes. well. Yeah. And it's, do you feel like you're in a washing machine? Oh, you, yeah. Do you? Yeah, I do. Because you seem pretty blissed out most every time you. I see you. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, especially as being a new mom, it's... Oh, yeah. I'm also... I have... still have hormones that I have, you know, that are still making right. their way out of my body. Like, I still... Um, I'm not sleeping. There's a lot of elements that I think this has really been grounding for me in a way mm-hmm. that... Um, 
it's been really helpful when it comes to those things specifically because I was, I was having like a very, I'd be elated one moment because I am obsessed with my children and uh-huh. I think they're incredible. And then the next moment I would be exhausted and, you know, unable to get them from stop crying. And, and that's just, that's crazy making for anyone. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult. So this has been a nice grounding experience for me. But I was thinking when you were saying earlier, just about, you know, the, the, the transcendent state and, and it just almost seems too good to be true until you experience it. And you're like, oh, right. This is familiar. This is, this is me tapping into that. This is not something that exists out there. If I do that, right. it's, it's so weird how that works. It's almost like you tell someone if you eat healthy for a year, you'll feel better. And they're like, well, that yeah. until they've done it, it's just impossible to, it, it does. It seems too good to be true a little bit. It's, it definitely seems too good. To be, I agree. And that's why it's endlessly fascinating yeah. too. You know, I've been doing this now 12 years. I'm still totally fascinated by it because it works. And nothing worked. But why that. doesn't everyone do it? Be, no, I know. We, we've, we've, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, and, and what's even more mystifying is once you learn this, why don't you do it? Yeah. I know lots of meditators, some of my students, they, they do. And they'll say like, oh, I got to get back on it. But they don't. Yeah. And which it's fine. You know, yeah. there's no judgment there. But I believe that they don't fully understand how good this is for them. Yeah. If they did, they would never miss one. Well, there's probably also a familiarity in the way that they've lived their life up until this point. Yeah. Like the, yeah, oh, I'm, like I told you before, you know, I always felt like the anxiousness and the sort of overzealous, overachieving part of me felt like that's what was getting the good work done. Right. Oh, that, I need that in order to get the work done. So, okay. So, yeah, but that you're getting sense. it done in spite of being anxious, right? You know, and what's what? I'm, I'm still a little anxious. I'm, that's, I'm yeah, making that's my way down. Yeah, yeah. But most, I think, a lot of people, I, you know, because I taught a lot in Los Feliz, I luckily <laughs> taught a lot of comedians. Yeah, and that's a that's a real. I have the weirdest like niche uh, <laughs> niches. One of them is comedians. The other are like the ice cream barons in New York City, and the other are sportscasters from St. Louis. Very strange little niches, but I have a soft These spot. These are your pockets. Of- yeah, I have a soft spot for the comedians in those filas. Why? Well, what do they, they all say the same thing, you know? Is this going to make me not funny anymore? My neuroses is the thing that's making me funny. Right. Yeah. And, and I've had people re- delay coming to learn with me because they thought, well, if I'm just happy, then... I, like they make a living out of bitching about things in a funny way, um, but they I, no one has yet reported that back to me. You know, uh, they they can still be themselves. They're I think most people find that they're more creative and more efficient and and perform better being a meditator or, or having been meditated. And I have found that I feel like it That's clears good. a bit of a pathway where there was maybe stuff before where you can just walk down there and say, oh, this is this is where I need to go. Yeah. Rather than sort of be blocked by things that are in the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's true. I think the the comedian thing is it's just really fun. <laughs> Will this make me unfunny? Have any of the comedians ever done 
to your knowledge, have they ever gone on and talked about meditation as a part of their routine? No, but they've had me on podcasts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's kind of fun, you know, especially if, like my friend Steve Agee, he, he has a podcast with Busy Phillips, and, and she was like in Hawaii, so he had me on. And I love doing that because Steve is hilarious, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he definitely didn't get less funny because he started doing this, but it, it, it's just, it's, I don't know, I like, I like the comedians. But the thing is, ultimately, the version of you that meditated is always going to outperform the version of you that didn't. So a lot of people say, oh, I didn't have time to meditate. Just pull your car over under a tree and do your meditation. Before, you know, you're, they think, well, I'm late for dinner and I don't want to miss anything. Well, um, those people who you're going to meet are going to get a more blissful, funnier, intelligent, and livelier version of you if you meditate and don't bring in all your stress. Right. So it's it's just a good idea to always to always do it. You have the answers are all in transcendence. I mean, you just you don't have to think as much. If you're a if you're a twice a day meditator, you find that you're just doing things automatically and through intuition without having to think and hem and haw and try and weigh pros and cons. You're just doing things instinctually, and it's working out. Yeah. So there. What do you think of that? So (laughs) there. I think that's great. I think that's great. And I think we should save the other. Yeah. We'll save the other stuff. Experiences of consciousness, levels of consciousness. What? Yeah. yeah, States of consciousness. Thank you. Thank you. States of consciousness. Why can I not? (laughs) Because you're a newbie. You're you're a baby (laughs) meditator. It's the, but it's what makes this good. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we should save those because that's the next step. Yeah. That's a whole other. Yeah. Because those are the sort of the next. We start getting into enlightened states. Yeah. So called. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll save that. Maybe do that next. Yeah. I like that. Awesome. In their stalls, we bend and fold, we bend and we fold. For more information on Vedic meditation, please visit teobarkhart.com. Slouching Towards Enlightenment is produced by The Moon Recording Company, executive produced by Teo Barkhart and Brian Rose. Our theme music is Supplicant's Song by Fredo Viola. Ooh.